welcome to season two of the HPS cast. I'm your host, Colbert Cannon. If you're new to the pod, HPS is a global investment firm. We manage approximately $60 billion in assets for a broad range of institutional investors. That capital is invested across private credit and public credit strategies. A lot has changed since we wrapped up our first season in the spring of 2020. We continue to face a global pandemic and social unrest globally. And we saw one of the most contentious U.S. presidential elections in recent times. With all of these changes, we're doing things a little differently this season. We're coming to you from remote locations as COVID has driven us away from our Manhattan podcast studio. We hope, as always, that you and yours are remaining safe in these difficult times. And I'll say, as an upside to being remote now, you're going to get to hear from people around the country and even around the globe. Despite the shift in locale, our format remains the same. Each week, I'm sitting down with key relationships to and partners of the firm to learn from their experience, ask how that shapes their current roles, and give insights into HPS and how we operate. So with that, let me bring in this week's guest. With us today is the CEO of a global consulting firm called Ankara. He started his career as an auditor at accounting firm Deloitte & Touche, and then later PricewaterhouseCoopers. He then joined consulting firm FTI, where he focused on advising trouble companies and their creditors. At FTI, he eventually rose to become the global co-head of the FTI corporate finance and restructuring practice, where he oversaw more than 1,000 employees worldwide. He then joined Ankara Consulting Group in early 2016, where he is now the CEO of a global business with more than 1,600 employees across the world. His professional career spans a dizzying gamut of assignments, not just advising companies, but also public entities and governments. Notably, he was appointed by the governor of New Jersey to serve as emergency manager of Atlantic City, advising them to a successful resolution of their financial crisis, and is currently assisting the government of Puerto Rico in advising the main finance authority and power company through their own issues. HPS is a large lender to Ankara, helping them grow the business organically and through acquisitions. So without any further ado, let me introduce this week's HPS cast guest, Kevin Lavin, CEO of Ankara. Kevin, welcome to the pod. Colbert, thank you so much for uh, for having me. Uh, looking forward to uh, our discussion today. So Kevin, listeners know I love a good backstory. Where'd you grow up? Where are you from originally? I grew up in New Jersey, River Edge, New Jersey. Got it. So you ended up then going to Manhattan College. What drew you there for undergrad? It'll sound a little um, strange, maybe, but... Um, you know, my father and I were uh, were quite competitive, and um, and that's another story for another day, uh, Colbert. But in any event, he went to Fordham, and he wanted me to go to Fordham, and uh, I said, you know what, I'm going to go for no reason other than that. I'll go to Manhattan College. Really liked Manhattan for its accounting program, and I was, you know, to be quite honest, I was very unclear in my own mind about what I wanted to do. And where I wanted to do it, but um, it finally fell into uh, a discussion with my mother and my father, and uh, at least two out of three voted for Manhattan College, and that's where I went. <laughs> there you go. Why was accounting the right career path for you to start in? Accounting gave me the opportunity to see a lot of different things. My father worked for a big eight firm, as they were called back then. My sister also worked for a big eight firm, and just the possibilities of career opportunities was the initial thing that drew me to it. And that uh, my father always told me that, you know, having a good basis in accounting, you really can do anything. And, you know, I think that was directionally correct. 
So you, you took the family business and you end up at Deloitte. So after Deloitte and, and eventually making partner at PwC, you decided to move on from accounting and opted to join FTI Consulting. Now, just so I get my chronology right, what year did you join FTI in then? So FTI, to be clear, FTI bought the restructuring practice of PwC, and that was back in uh, 2002. Oh, interesting. Okay. And so you went along with that acquisition then, or is that how you ended up there? Uh, I did. And Kevin, what kind of deals were you working on at that point? Like what was the typical assignment in the early days there for you at FDI? It, it could have been anything, Colbert. It was could have been debtor side mandates. It could have been uh, a chief restructuring officer. It could have been an international project. We got involved in so many different things and were able to develop our brand a lot more uh, quickly than I would have thought. Uh, you know, we worked really hard to get our name out in the marketplace and have a cohesive message, and it worked out quite well. When there were big mandates out there to be had, you know, we uh, we got a shot at those. So then, at the end of your time at FTI, so 2016, you make the decision to go over to Ankara. I'm curious what brought you there, a, and what did you see in Ankara? It's it's grown tremendously and with great success over the last four or five years. What in the time did you see that got you comfort that it was going to be going in the right trajectory? Well, you know, it was very interesting, Colbert. I actually left FTI in December of 2014. The time I spent in 2015 you know, was as the emergency manager for Atlantic City. But during that time, I did take an awful lot of personal time as well, thinking about what I wanted to do next. I had a number of different offers to go to different firms as a CEO in a company. But what I wanted to do at the end of the day was look back and say, you know what, I had an impact. I worked in a great organization and I was part of building that organization. You know, Ankara came up because uh, a good friend of mine, uh, you know, Phil Dodona, who I knew from FTI, was there. And the, the, the plan, at least the original plan, was to get money from uh, a really uh, reputable private equity firm and then grow out this firm and make it culturally consistent with what we wanted. And what we wanted was a firm that would be collaborative. And it's interesting too, Colbert, because a lot of firms throw around the word collaboration, but I, I think that that word is used so easily and without a lot of definition, you know, the way we talk about it within our firm, you know, there's a lot of uh, talk to talk, but we say we walk the walk. And with respect to collaboration, we do collaborate. We have currently six business groups within our organization, and they all work seamlessly. And what we had planned on, which is happening, is the innovation that we get when you have different people working in different business groups brings you. And that innovation is different work streams that clients may want or they don't know they want yet. And then we have, we're building that practice group to deliver that type of service. And it's so much fun when you have so many different people, your firm supporting you. And that's, you know, way back when, when I joined, there was 10 people. Uh, that's what we envisioned. And is that right, Kevin? When you joined, there were only 10 people there? 10 people, Colbert. So 160 times more people now than then. That's amazing. It's been quite a five years. Yeah. Right, right. But in, in my you know travels in 2015, the one consistent message I heard from almost every senior person is that, you know what, I, you know, I make a fair amount of money. I work on really good projects. I would really like to work on a place where 
There's a lot less politics and work in a place that's just helpful and collaborative where I can have fun. Yeah. You mentioned one of the key things there, which is at the end of the day, if you align incentives economically with people so that it enforces collaboration, people tend to respond. I mean, this is human nature. Right. Anchor's assets are people. You know, there's not hard assets. You deal with a lot of operating companies in your career. How different is managing people versus hard assets as a CEO? And what are some of the challenges of that? Managing hard assets to me is a lot easier than managing a professional services firm. If you manage a business with hard assets, it's easy to come in if you're an officer, you know, take a look at the organizational structure, how they're set up, and see, first of all, if the right boxes are there, if the right structure there. And then number two, see if the right people are in the right boxes. And then if you have that set up for that, you know, whatever that number is, 10 or 20 people at the top, then what you have is a way to at least manage you know, the value that you're creating within your organization. It's a little bit different in a professional services firm in that, yes, you do the same thing with respect to the right organizational structure, uh, having the right people in the right boxes. But uh, as you know, Colbert, when you have a professional services firm, when you have senior managing directors, the top level in our organization, you know, all of those individuals are are very confident and have a lot of clients and almost businesses in and of themselves. And so you have to treat them as if they're an extension of the of the C-suite. And so with that, you know, brings the complexity of making sure that whatever changes you make or propose, that you really go around to all of the different uh, senior managing directors and make sure they're on board with the changes, with major acquisitions to the, you know, to the extent you can with a broader group and and get buy-in. That's interesting. So you, you have to build consensus more as a leader of a professional services organization. You don't need to build consensus with a factory line. That's not how it works, right? It's it's when your assets are, are people, you know, you need to get buy-in at the top. What are the key business segments or key geographies that you're focused on for the next several years to bolster the already impressive array of products that you guys offer? Oh, goodness. Um, I'm, I'm not going to give up too much of the store here, uh, Colbert. Huh. <laughs> High level. High level, Kevin. Listen, competitors listen to this podcast, so let's be careful. But where are you focused? I would say technology. It's my view that professional services that have been provided to clients over the last two or three decades, you know, the growth in those and the types of services has been fairly uh, linear. And I think that going forward over the next five years, that it's not going to be linear. There is going to be a much bigger kind of, call it, you can even call it a hockey stick change in the type of services that clients will need or think they need or don't know they need, but we we offer them. And whether that's due to technology changes, you know, whether it's AI, blockchain or whatever, or or whether it's uh, geopolitical, I think there's just going to be a lot of change and a lot of uh, a lot of need to be, you know, very nimble. I do think that it'll be important for us to continue to grow globally. I don't think there's any place uh, other than some of the countries on the do not fly list, they'll call them, <laughs> that are not you know, targets for us. Uh, Latin America is important. And technology services, whether it's cyber, privacy, or what have you, I think are things that uh, yeah, we would like to invest uh, heavily in. Yeah, it's and it's an area that's only getting more and more complicated and, and is, is a natural fit with everything else you do. That makes total sense.
I want to move to a couple case studies. Uh, you've been involved in some particularly interesting assignments in your career. When I think about what Anchor is best at, you mentioned collaboration. The interdisciplinary nature of what a lot of your advisory assignments are has always been interesting to me. You're never just a bankruptcy advisor. You know, It's never just the financing work. It's never just the insurance guy or the tax guy or you know, pick it. You have to bring a broad suite of skills to bear. In particular, as you said, if you're the CRO of something... You know, you are a senior executive who is tasked with a very complicated restructuring. You need to bring, you know, every bit of your toolkit to bear. And you've done that in some interesting situations. You were hired to be the quote unquote emergency manager of Atlantic City. Give our listeners some background. What happened that required that role? And what does the emergency manager actually mean? So I was I was called by Trenton back in December of 14, literally two weeks after I left my previous uh, job, and they asked me to come there to talk to them about a potential role. And the role ended up being the emergency manager role. It was a different role than uh, Kevin Orr had in Detroit. Kevin Orr in Detroit had uh, the ultimate say in making decisions. My role as emergency manager was as an advisor to the state and to the city. And my influence really was generated by what help I could get from you know the governor's office and also what what things governor's office could do in terms of you know making things happen or stop from happening. Atlantic City is not dissimilar from a lot of different cities around the world uh, you know albeit it has you know the notoriety of the casinos and and so forth but it, it has a lot of the same uh, issues. And, and so as an advisor, you, you know, you couldn't make the final call on things, but how did you help Atlantic City and what did you focus on in that 12 months, given the, you know, the financial straits they were in? One of the things that was challenging was that there were a lot of different views from individuals, whether they were politicians, whether they were people with small businesses or big businesses, or just, you know, taxpayers within Atlantic City had different views as to what really was going on in Atlantic City and what was the real deficit at Atlantic City. So one of the first things you know, we did, and I hired uh, EY to, to help out. They did a, a really fine job. And we just did a lot of digging in empirical data and put together a report that's public that stated, okay, this is what's going on. This is what the deficit is. And it was over $100 million for the fiscal year. And we need to close that gap. Then we went on a process to not only close that gap, but to make sure that a primary premise of, for me, was not raising taxes. The taxpayers in Atlantic City had seen double-digit growth in uh, property taxes for, for many years, and it was just something that was completely unrestrained and out of control. So the first thing uh, I wanted to do was make sure there was no uh, increase at all in property taxes, that whatever you paid last year is what you would pay this year. And for Atlantic City, just to be clear, property taxes at the time uh, represented, uh, I think, 90% of the city's revenue. Wow. So we, we went through a lot of different things to make that happen. And and it did happen where property taxes were not raised that year, that we closed that significant uh, gap, that we brought a fair amount of 
you know, financial uh, understanding and also a list of, uh, my goodness, I think we left a list of 198 things that uh, in a very detailed way of things that had to happen there to continue uh, the work that I did when I was there during 2015. It was a very um, eye-opening experience for me in, in a lot of ways. And also, you know, sad in in ways that uh, I felt that what I wanted to do. And, and look, the reason I took the the gig to begin with, Colbert, is because uh, I feel like I've I've been very lucky in life, and I wanted to give back. And this was a way for me to give back. I mean, I lost money working down there. Well, listen, I mean, um, there's no greater gift than a Jersey guy being able to save Atlantic City. I mean, let's be <laughs> this is you were built for this, Kevin. Yeah, right, right, right. What were your lessons learned from that? You said it was eye-opening. Tell me about some of the experiences and, and how you've been able to bring them forward to what you do today. You know, I, I think it's you know, one of the biggest things that came out of that for me is you have to level the perspective of everyone. And you know, I said earlier that there were so many different views as far as, you know, the numbers, what was really going on. So I think leveling the perspective of individuals there was a huge help in, you know, for people to kind of coalesce around, hey, okay, this makes sense. You know, we should do this. Because without that leveling of perspective, like explaining to people what was really going on, what was the thinking about all of this? Uh, and this this was for everyone. It was very interesting. One day I was in the in the lobby and a woman came up to me, uh, the lobby of the uh, city hall. And she came up to me and she said, uh, you know, Mr. Lavin, why you want to take uh, uh, the water away from Atlantic City? And I said, I said, well, that's interesting. I said, why would I want to take the water away from anyone? And she said, well, I heard that um, you want to take the water authority and bring that under your control so you can control the water and the distribution and it's going to be uh, a lot more costly you know for us and i said well that's as far from the truth as it could possibly be look i just wanted to in terms of assessing and analyzing all the different assets and the revenue producing assets of the city is just bring that information to light and i wasn't uh, prepared to do anything without city council especially because it required a vote to get anything done. But so I, I think it's it's a little different, right, within a municipality in terms of you know leveling perspective and is it really realistic to get there or not? Uh, but I think at least you have to try because look, the taxpayers deserve that. You know, everyone that you know lives there deserves that kind of respect and understanding. But you have to try. But uh, I, I really enjoyed my experience down there. A lot of great people are down there, and I wish. Uh, Atlantic City and the folks down there, uh, nothing but the best. Well, it's interesting. I mean, your point is right. It's impossible to decide on the path forward. And plenty of people can have different views on the right path forward. But you need to start with the basics and agreeing on the facts of where you are. And oftentimes that can be a little murky in situations like this. Yeah, it is. The next case study I'd love to hear a little bit about is Puerto Rico. So Puerto Rico was a large issuer of municipal debt and got into trouble several years back where they had borrowed substantially more than it seemed like they'd be able to pay back. What exactly was Ankara retained to do there? Our, our role is representing the government. And the government has a bunch of different entities. The main one is the main financial entity, which is goes by the acronym AFAF. And in representing them, what we do is we put together the fiscal plan you know, for the different entities that AFAF looks out over. 
and work with the professionals and the board of PROMESA to, to get those fiscal plans uh, complete. And then once you get the fiscal plans complete, then the next step is to get you know, the plan of adjustment, the, the restructuring, so to speak, agreed to. And what we also do is keep track of uh, liquidity down there. We keep track of performance against the fiscal plan. And then also a big part of it is implementation, if not the biggest part. So we're assisting with uh, implementation on uh, many of the facets that are within the fiscal plans of the different agencies uh, you know, down there. But it's been a very big project for us. I spent a lot of time down in Puerto Rico back in 2016. I knew this restructuring was coming. And what we did, and I believe we're the only firm that did this, is we opened up an office down in San Juan and hired I have, uh, I think, five, at least five full-time people down there, uh, some senior people that are, are working and helped, were very instrumental in helping us win you know, projects down there to, to help the government and the people of Puerto Rico. It's been a real, real interesting process and ride for us. Uh, more, to, more to be done down there. Yeah, lot lots still going on, I know. I know you're in the middle of it, but any lessons learned or experiences from the Puerto Rico you know, advisory work that you've been able to use in your business as well? You know, it's Puerto Rico had, my goodness, so many different things happened to it. You know, they had the, you know, its own uh, financial crisis, then the hurricane. And one of the things that, that we always try to stay away from is overanalyzing the past. Who did what? Who did this? To us, it's it's irrelevant. It's, okay, what pieces do we have today and how do we move forward? Okay, moving forward, what do we do? Uh, you know, getting Puerto Rico uh, out from under, we're being able to, you know, work with, uh, you know, it's uh, whatever debt load it ends up with, you know, is a very, very challenging, unbelievably challenging process because there's so many different, you know, parties uh, involved. To me, again, it's you want to keep looking forward and not yeah. and working on what's next and what's possible, not what who did to who. It just doesn't help anyone, and that's all very, very important to get unbelievably complex deals done like uh, the deals in uh, Puerto Rico. I mean, the interesting theme there, Kevin, which, you know, you touched on this a little bit with Atlantic City too, is, you know, the best restructuring advisors bring an impartial view. When something's gone wrong, there's a lot of baggage that comes along with it. And there's a lot of finger pointing and the best restructuring advisors come in, ignore all of that, get the facts and get people to level set where they are and say, okay, now what do we do? And that's, you know, that's a core skill set, I think, for anybody in your line of work if they want to be successful. Yeah, it, it's exactly right, Colbert. It's understanding the landscape and then coalescing a fairly disparate group of, of stakeholders. In any situation, right, the first thing you want to do is understand the facts, but figure out what that end game is. It's always better to work towards a result uh, using uh, doing it inductively versus deductively, right? And uh, that's what all the, I think, all the really good restructuring folks do. Before we move to best ideas, I'd, I'd love just a little advice from you. If I were a, a young consultant or a young accountant, and I look at your success, what advice would you give me? What are some of the lessons learned along the way for somebody to manage their career to the success that you've had? I think the, the biggest thing, the biggest thing, I'll, I'll say a few things. One is being an active listener. Very early in my career, until someone really took me aside, I wasn't an active listener. 
an act of listening, you know, takes a lot of energy. Uh, I was a listener in that someone was saying something and I was just waiting to tell that person what I wanted to say. So I wasn't really listening. So I, I think active listening is, is super important because there's something to learn from everyone, right, that you work with. The other thing is in terms of work product is that when anyone is asked to work on something, that they work on that to and get it to the best place it can be, meaning that they don't get it 80% of the way there. They get it 100% of the way there. And what that means, Colbert, I, you know this as well as I do, that when you finish an analysis, well, my goodness, does that mean you're finished? Probably not. You have to review it, review it again. And, and you know what? You'll catch mistakes that you made. So when you're ready to give it to whoever your colleague is, your supervisor, that that is your best thinking and your best product. And once you do that, you're known as that. And that, that should be a very big part of your toolkit, because if, if you carry that, those two things will take you far. That's great advice, Kevin. Let's move to the last segment of the pod, which is something we like to call best ideas. So for longtime listeners, they know this format. We call them best ideas because in our line of work, only good ideas make it as a portfolio investment. We like to size up our best ideas wherever we can. So best ideas are anything from our guests' experience recently that has affected them. Kevin, you're our guest, so we'll ask you to go first. What's your best idea this week? Oh, my goodness. Um, look, I've read a lot of books. In my life, I've seen a lot of things that provide you know insight. But if I was going to point to one thing that I think everyone should do every day is meditation. A good friend of mine is a Tai Chi grandmaster. His name is Yang Yang, and he—I've known him for ten plus years. The guy's amazing, and he does so many different things. He teaches so many different types of things, and his his view and is my view today that if you had an extra 10 or 15 minutes each day, you would spend that meditating. And and look, I, the best meditation is where you can free your mind of anything and really relax yourself. Uh, I know that's sometimes uh, difficult in today's world, especially with what's going on today. So even if you reflect on things that, that you've done or that you want to get done, thinking about yourself and relaxing your body and your mind each day is something that I would highly recommend. I think that's important in any circumstance. And I think in the, you know, in the hectic world we're in with everything going on globally and the, you know, sort of the pressures of working from home and the complexities that creates, I think that's especially sound advice now. Great idea. Okay. So my best idea this week, you know, longtime listeners know I like to take inspiration for my best idea based on the week's guest. We discussed earlier your work in Atlantic City, and given that you're a Jersey guy, you're obviously an all-time Bruce Springsteen fan. And so my best idea is the album Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen. If you aren't a huge Springsteen aficionado, you might not quite realize the range the man has. So in the very same studio sessions in which he was working out songs for Born in the USA, which came out in 1984... He was working on a much more stripped down, sparer set of songs that would become the Nebraska album released in 82. It's a solemn, contemplative album about loss and lack of hope and dark days, but with real moments of grace and redemption making appearance throughout. And I've always actually loved the song Atlantic City. I think it's the best song on the album. And if all you know of Bruce is arena rock staples, I highly encourage giving it a listen. 
as two guys who spend time thinking about stress and distressed debt a lot, I think it has perfect lyrics for us. There's the classic line, everything dies, baby, that's a fact, but maybe everything dies, someday comes back. So like Atlantic City, in no small part thanks to your help, like the levered loan market and default cycle, I will raise a virtual glass to toast you, uh, Kevin, to all things coming back. With that, Kevin, thank you. It's a true pleasure. You're a friend and somebody who I greatly respect, and you are doing great things at Ankara, and it is a, a real treat and honor to have you on the pod this week. Uh, Colbert, thank you so very much, and really appreciate uh, being on uh, your podcast, my friend. Thank you. I look forward to catching up in person one of these days soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks again to our guest, Kevin Lavin. Take a look at the show notes to learn more about Kevin and his firm, Ankara. And thank you to our listeners. We appreciate you all tuning in. This podcast was brought to you by Atwill Media with HPS Investment Partners. Check out the show notes to find links to some of our best ideas. And remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'll be back next week with a new episode, but in the meantime, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast app.